<laughs> um, that sounds scary, huh? <laughs> and thank you, dear This one works too. Um, and I have two new spon sponsors. <laughs> I couldn't make a decision because I love them both equally, and I'm not ashamed to say that they are my sponsors. So those of you ladies that are sponsored by these two, would you raise your hands? <laughs> Yay. I get to be a part of your smaller fellowship now, and I'm really excited. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to give you Sony and Julie. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. No, if I'm talking, you don't talk, okay? Got it. Are you, you talking? That? Okay. I'm, I, yeah, I'm talking. Okay. But I'm done. All right, now I'm talking. All right, we picked steps eight and nine. Eight and nine are kind of pivotal point in our sobriety because it's the first time that we really deal with the outside world in a meaningful way. You know, in steps one and two, we gathered information. We were alcoholics before we came to Alcoholics Anonymous, but we got the information in step one to become aware of the fact that we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. And in step two, what well, we had a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. What that's saying to me is that we also learn that there is a different way, that if we're willing, uh, things can turn out differently than they are right now. We just have to be willing to accept help to return us to sanity. And in step three, we still haven't done much, but we make a decision. We make a decision, which is a commitment, to turn our will and our life, which is our thoughts and our actions, over to the care of a power greater than us. And so what we're saying in step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So turning our thoughts and our actions. And what that commitment really is, is it's a commitment to take a series of actions. And the series of actions take place in steps four through nine. In steps four through seven, we're taking our first objective look at ourselves, at what blocks us from a higher power. It says in in our steps that we get a higher power as a result of these steps, as a result of taking this series of actions. And so those actions begin with an objective look at ourselves and what blocks us from our higher power, and that happens in four and five. And in six and seven, uh, we're looking at those mental and spiritual roadblocks that uh, have kept us from right thinking and right actions. And so all of those things are about us and our fellows in Alcoholics Anonymous. We've looked at other people. We've looked at our resentments. We've looked at our fears. We've looked at our wrongs done to others. But so far, and we like a lot of credit for that. Have you ever noticed that? Like, wow, I've done four and five. I, I got a lot of credit. And uh, it's like a store that takes an inventory. They take an inventory of the stock and trade. If they never do anything about it, the outdated items are still on the shelves. And so if they don't clean out those shelves, they don't have room for anything else. And uh, so that brings us to where we are today. And at step eight and nine, we, uh, we cross a great divide, really, because these are the first real actions that involve our relationship with the outside world and for the most part, relationships outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, um, I don't know about you, but when I saw this, I, I really had some big misconceptions. I didn't realize they were that at the time. Like I said, you know, made a list of all people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all, and then made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so when injure them or others. And so I thought, you know, three days after I was sober, it would be a good idea to just run around and tell everybody I was sorry. <laughs> and uh, you know what? They'd been hearing that from me for years and years and years. And so uh, that's one of the advantages of having a sponsor. They let you know the steps are in order for a reason. And uh, Julie is, is just a particularly strong pro, uh, sponsor in terms of that process. 
the process of, of having your list and making your amends. And she has a lot of experiences to share about, um, because it kind of changes, you know, we have, our, we have our first eighth and ninth step in sobriety. And then like all the rest of our growth, that's kind of like our experience. And then what happens to us over time and what those amends look like today. And I think it grows and develops as our uh, design for living grows and matures and makes us the women that we are today. So Julie's gonna talk a little bit about uh, the process she uses with sponsees and her own experience with the eighth and ninth step. Thanks, Sonia. Um, I, I wanna just say a couple of things before I begin. Uh, we've never done this before. <laughs> And I'm telling you this because I might cut her off at times and if she's talking too long. But uh, my prerogative, I have more time. Anyway, uh, so we haven't done this before. And, and uh, bless Zan's heart, she asked us last Tuesday to do this. So uh, we threw it together in the last 15 minutes. So... <laughs> We meant to spend more time on it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, we, we started on it uh, yesterday. Anyway, uh, <coughs> so the eighth and ninth step, you know, uh, we always only talk about the fourth and fifth step. Oh, that's so scary. I don't want to do it. You know, they might find something out about me. And then we talk about briefly the sixth and seventh. It says, go take a nap, you know, and so... Uh, how brief is that, you know? And so um, it gets a little confusing. And I do think that when I first came in, I was anxious. Uh, I wanted to go and tell everyone I was sorry because I wanted to become more comfortable within me. Not because I was really cleaning up anything, but I thought if I could get them to, to accept this apology, then I would be more comfortable. But I really didn't know what I was apologizing for. Until I did the fourth and fifth step and looked at my part, did I really understand. When I first got sober, my sobriety date's November 23, 1978. And when I first got sober, it was a fad that once you did the fourth and fifth step, you burned it. Well, that's great. Now you go to do the eighth and ninth and you've burned all the information. <laughs> and now you've got to go over it again, you know, and uh, your sponsor's kind of irritated. Uh, she may not have been on, in on the decision to burn it, you know. <laughs> so that was a big fad, and, uh, and so I, that's what I did. And uh, then I had to go back and relook and look at my part and things. So that when I said, I, I want you to know that I'm sorry that I did this, I was specific. It wasn't just general, bull, you know, BS. It was specific. And, and they, you know, some of them were wonderful and said, oh, don't worry about it. And some of them never talked to me again. And, uh, and it says in our book, there will be those that will never forgive us, you know, in the 10th step. And so uh, what I have developed over the years is that when, they, when the person does a fourth step, and we identify those characters. Oh, by the way, I don't have them watch soap operas anymore, if any of you heard that story, uh, that I had that gal come to my house so she could identify her uh, shortcomings by watching soap operas. So I don't do that one anymore, but it was kind of clever. I, I may pick that one back up. Uh, and so I identify those, I have them identify those character defects. I have them also, when they're going to make amends, I have them write it out. What are you making amends for? Uh, what, is, uh, what is your motive? I have one gal, um, she had her best friend, she cheated on her with her uh, wife. And oh my gosh, she just wanted to go and tell her right away, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you know. However, the person she cheated with had not told her partner. And so what she was going, she, what she really, her motive was to get comfortable within herself. And so in that process, she was going to hurt this person. 
It was a selfish motive. And so, being the loving, kind sponsor, I pointed that out. And uh, she, she didn't take my advice. She didn't listen to me. And she lost that friendship forever. And also, the two people broke up and split up. So, you know, there are repercussions uh, when we go and we make, make amends. Um, there are different kinds of amends. Uh, you know, there's the emotional ones. There's, uh, there's the financial ones. I love the financial ones. They are so much fun. Uh, only because I was always in debt. But I really, I really worked on the financial ones. And Sony will have me go into that later. But this is a beautiful step because it clears away... I don't know about you. Have you ever borrowed money from somebody and you, you don't pay them back and you see them walking down the street, you know, and you cross the street so you don't have to see them or you see them at a meeting and they've loaned you some money and so you don't go to that meeting anymore? None of you have done that. Okay. <laughs> Are we in an AA meeting for sure? I just want to make sure I'm with my tribe. Um, and so it clears away that, and so that I can, uh, whether that person accepts my amends or not, I have owned up to my behavior, which then gives me the opportunity to change. Until I identify the behavior, until I identify the problem, I can't do anything about it. So it's a very important step, and it kind of gets overlooked because... It's a sorry step, <laughs> not a forgiving step. It's a forgiving step. Um, I don't know if that made any sense. Does that make any sense? Don't answer. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's really all I have to say about that, and, and that uh, for me, it, there was great relief in this step. Uh, I don't think my father ever did uh, accept my amends. Uh, my mother said... I don't want to hear it. Um, Sony has some even more dire experiences with the ninth step than I do. Mine was pretty much, they would accept it or just tell me to go away, you know? So, so that's it. Sonia? Do you want me to share my dire first or do you want me to read from reflections on their comments on amends? Oh, reflections is uh, much too spiritual. How about let's go to the dire? Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, I got sober in the same town I grew up in, and um, it came time to make amends. Now, one of the things I learned from my sponsor is you always check out with your sponsor before you go to make amends, because um, it's almost like that part of the 10th step where we think we have a new pipeline to God, and occasionally we misinterpret the sig signals and head down our own path. So one of the people on my amends list was my ex-husband, and... Uh, so first of all, I had an opportunity to make amends to him. And uh, my sponsor said, I want you to write it out. So I write out this really nice letter. And I mean, I have put energy into it. It's nearly a work of art. And, um, and it tells him how sorry I am for anything I had done while I was drinking and how sorry I was for embarrassing him at all those associate events in his Mormon administration when I was dead drunk and how sorry I was for being selfish and self-centered, and how sorry I was for this and that, and how I joined Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is part of what I have to do to clean up my, I mean, it was terrific. And then down at the bottom, there is a sentence that said, and my life has never been better since you're not in it. <laughs> my sponsor reads it and goes, what is this? I, I don't know how that got there. Okay, that's phase one of amends to husband. So then I run into him one day, oh, a couple blocks from my house, and I come home and I call my sponsor. I said, oh, I ran into Ed today. And, and she said, oh, did you make amends? I said, well, no. He said, this is an important amends, you know, I wanna make, and it says when the opportunity arises, but I wanna be important. So I was picturing that we would make a nice reservation at one of the better restaurants in town and we would sit down and 
You would get to see how much I changed and probably be very sorry for losing me. And, um, and you know, we would break bread together. And, and even though we weren't married, we would probably be lifetime friends. That's how I pictured what should come out of a men's. And she said, you mean you saw him on the street and you knew what was in the letter, so you knew what to say and you didn't just stop and say it. You didn't take the opportunity. The opportunity is not something you devise. It's something that we're willing to make amends, and our higher power presents the opportunity. And so when you see, so I didn't get to have the fancy lunch. It, I'm quite sure he would have been impressed. Um, and so I had to wait, and I had to wait till the next opportunity came up. And then I made amends to him in the way my sponsor told me to, short and sweet, no strings attached. See, I like to tag things on. I like to tag things on like, and before we were married, you were my best friend and I hope we can be friends forever. You know, that kind of thing. And, and that's just my alcoholism and that's why I have to check it out with somebody else. I think the other amends that uh, was the biggest surprise to me, it, because I was a blackout drinker, and so I had uh, gotten into quite an embarrassing situation at one of the florists in town. And so uh, <laughs> I go over it with my sponsor, how I'm going to make amends. And it wasn't a stealing thing. It was just an out-and-out -out obnoxious thing. And so I go in to make amends, and I'm, I'm really up for this because I have happened to have had a couple of successful amends. And I am quite clear on the fact that it's our side of the street, and it doesn't matter how they react. But after a couple of positive experiences, I'm fairly certain that they're just going to love this process. So I walk into the florist, and I'm walking up to the counter, and the owner happens to be there. And before I can open my mouth, she says, you, I thought I told you never to come in my store again. And what are you doing in here? And why do I have to put up? The very least you could do is stay out of my life. I have no idea what I did to this woman. It wasn't the minor thing I was going in to make amends to. And so I left. And I have to tell you the truth. I was about seven or eight months sober, and I was devastated. I was just devastated by this response. I totally lost sight of my side of the street. And she didn't want to hear what I had to say. And in fact, she never wanted to see me again. So my sponsor um, had me write a little letter and that did not have, and my life has never been better. But uh, she had me write a little letter about how sorry I was for my behavior, that I wasn't quite clear on my behavior uh, while I was drinking because I was a blackout drinker. But I am sincerely sorry, and she would not have to worry about seeing me in her store again. And I never did. I never thought I was sober enough that I could go in there and expect her to forgive me because we do terrible things, and sometimes we don't even know what they were. But it was a real lesson in what my side of the street really means. Um, I think it's really important to share our stories because that's where the recovery is, the story of, of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. But uh, <laughs> is there's another dire story for Sonia. Uh, Sam don't have any dire stories, so I always tell hers, but I'm not going to tell. I'm going to talk about how you went to make amends to your father, and uh, when did they call the ambulance? I think it was... Yeah. Well, uh, I mentioned in my story earlier today that we had a demonstrative home, and uh, there was a lot of violence, and there were a lot of things that went on, and, and there were things that children shouldn't be exposed to that happen in alcoholic homes. But I had also done a lot of stuff. So I got to the amends with my father. And uh, I, was re I really prepared for this one. I worked very closely with Julie on that. And, and I went to my father's house. And uh, I walked in. And he was sitting at the kitchen table. And as I was about to make amends, I became overcome by rage. And... I pulled his chair over backwards, and I stomped on his chest, and I kicked him in the head, and I did other forms of terrible, violent things that I'm not proud of. And then I looked down, and 
and he was unconscious on the floor and I left the house and we didn't have cell phones then and I couldn't figure out what had happened. And I went to a pay phone and I called my sponsor and I explained what happened. I said, do you think I should go in and try again? <laughs> she said, I think you should call an ambulance. And uh, you see, I had, asked, I had asked my sponsor what to say, and I thought I was prepared. But I'd left out a really important ingredient. I was not yet at that point where I understood the importance of asking my higher power for help. And I went in there on my own to make amends when there were some very terrible things that had happened on the other side of the street. You know, my father and his friends were not the best of folks when they'd had too much to drink. And, uh, and so now I can see that at the time, I wasn't really prepared to do that. And at the time, I hadn't really been honest with my sponsor about the depth of this problem, or she never would have sent me over there. But at any rate, she didn't let me go back. And... Um, <laughs> The ambulance did take him to the hospital. And he was a typical drunk, you know. The next day, it's like, oh, maybe not the next day, but the next week, it's like, well, Sonia, why haven't you been over to blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like just another day around the house to them. But now that I'd been sober, it was a horrible experience to me that I behaved this way because the woman that came in here that behaved that way routinely and I know this morning I didn't talk about the violence I grew up with that made me a violent person myself. But the violence I grew up with, even in that short period of time, in that eight or nine months, was not the woman I was turning into. And so now the very behaviors that I thought made me proud and tough and independent were behaviors that embarrassed me. So I, I took a moment to explain to Sonia that that's not how we make amends. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, but it was a scary moment, you know, because it triggered um, something in her, you know, that she had left out. So that's why we have to be so thorough. I did leave something out. You know, when I got sober, we didn't have cell phones. And so we didn't do texting. And so I literally follow what it says is that we want to do this face-to-face -face whenever possible, and it won't harm them or others. And so I had to do a lot of face-to-face, -face, and you know, that's, you know, you don't really... When you have to do that, there is a hesitation, right? It's easy to text. I'll just send off a text. I'm so sorry I, I hit on your wife, you know, and, uh, or whatever. And, uh, but it has no meaning. It has no depth to it unless you look a person in the eye and say, I am truly sorry. I also believe that with time, uh, for me anyway, um, I have evolved, I have seen the damage I've done more clearly than I did, of course, when I was first sober. And so I, I think I've made living amends uh, to my family and well-deserved. Uh, now, my family, they did some terrible things, too. So did, my mother did terrible things. She put me in dangerous places, and uh, she had strange men over, and uh, I was molested a number of times. But that wasn't the point. Uh, I had used that against her for years, and my amends to her was a living amends. And I think I told you this story about she, she came to live with me when she had a stroke, and I made my living amends to my mother at that time. So I wanted to add that really, I, I really beg of you not to use the texting, to really try to, to just go to these people with an open heart and tell them the truth about yourself and tell them why you're sorry. Um, I think you'll have more uh, relief from doing it that way. There's another advantage to doing face-to-face -face amends, um, even though it takes more courage, is with the situation um, with some of the people I had harmed, and they say, you know, if you can't make direct amends, then write a letter. And so I had numerous reasons why direct amends probably wouldn't be possible, and I was big on letter writing. And um, 
When you make direct amends, you get to learn things. You get to look that person in the eye and you see whether they have any understanding of what you're doing or you at least get to see the hurt you've caused them. You get to see their reaction and good, bad, or indifferent, the situation is taken care of. When I send off a letter, I don't know how long it takes to get there. I don't know if they read it or threw it in the wastebasket. I don't know what their reaction to it was. Did they intend to get in touch with me and they're just procrastinating or do they never want to talk to me again? So then in my alcoholic mind, I have to live with all the uncertainty of whatever happened to that letter after I put the stamp on it. But if I trust my higher power, and it's about my side of the street, when I do what Julie says and look them eye to eye and, and uh, meet it head on, I get the immediate feedback of just where it is. Would you like me to read about... Um, I'd love for you to read. Would you? I really I'm, would. I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read on the bottom of page 78 on the 12 and 12. And it says, when listing the people we've harmed, most of us hit another solid obstacle. We got a pretty severe shock when we realized we were preparing to make a face-to-face -face admission of our wretched conduct to those we had hurt. It had been embarrassing enough when in confidence we had admitted these things to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. But the prospect of actually visiting or even writing the people concerned now overwhelmed us especially when we remembered what poor favor we stood with most of them. There were cases, too, where we had damaged others who were still happily unaware of being hurt. Why we cried, should bygones be, shouldn't bygones be bygones? Why do we have to think of these people at all? I mean, after all, it is about me. Um, these were some of the ways in which fear conspired with pride to hinder our making a list of all the people we had harmed. Some of us, though, tripped over a very different snag. We clung to the claim that when drinking, we never hurt anybody but ourselves. Our families didn't suffer because we always paid the bills and seldom drank at home. Our business associates didn't suffer because we were usually on the job. Our reputations hadn't suffered because we were certain few knew of our drinking. I love that one. And those who did would sometimes assure us that, after all, a lively bender was a good man's fault. What real harm, therefore, had we done? No more surely than we could easily mend with a few casual apologies. This attitude, of course, is the end result of purposeful forgetting. I love that. The end result of purposeful forgetting. It's an attitude which can only be changed by a deep and honest search of our motives and actions. Do you have any comment on personal, on purposeful forgetting? Or have you forgotten? I've forgotten already. No, right. I, I don't. You're doing good. Go ahead. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Okay. Do you want me to go here? So with that in mind, um, yes. That fits. Yes, we're going to talk now about some of our financial amends, which is a real strength when Julie's working with people. She really knows a lot about how to do that. I had mostly financial amends that I had to make. Um, that's why I'm so good at this. Um, one of the things I put down was, uh, you know, I, I think I'd maxed out every credit card, you know? And I owed people, I owed my mother money. I owed money. And uh, I don't know about you, but I had this attitude that if I didn't have the whole amount, I couldn't pay it. You know, I, I, I didn't know about payment plans. You know, uh, I had a good sponsor, though, who helped me with that. But um, I'd, I'd say to myself, okay, so I'm going to save up the money, and then I'm going to pay it. <clears throat> and say it was 500, I'd get to 150, and I'd spend it. <laughs> So, you know, I wasn't making much uh, way with that. But it, what I did, what I learned was that I could pay, I could pay $20 a month. And uh, I'll never forget this experience. This is how I learned this experience. As I was home one day, and I saw this woman coming down my sidewalk. <clears throat> she looked um, disheveled, uh, homeless, and I thought, well, I think I could spare a few dollars for her, you know? 
And uh, she got to my door, and I opened, and she said, Julie Rogers. And I said, yes, and she handed me a piece of paper, which was um, uh, a piece of paper that was asking me to come to court. <laughs> subpoena. It's a subpoena uh, for a bill I owed. And uh, I didn't give her any money, and I sent her away. <clears throat> but I did, I did go to court, and I, did, uh, I knew I owed that money. And... Uh, Gosh, it was, it was interesting. I said, yes, I owe the money. I'm willing to pay it. I, I will have to pay it in payments. I'm in school. Um, and the judge says, do you, do you really want to admit? To, I mean, the judge was trying to help me, you know, and uh, to get me out of it. And I said, no, I really, I owe this money. And I said, I can pay $25 a month. Now, I wasn't quite sure where I was going to get the money, but I was going to really, I was going to do it. I'd made a commitment. So I went home, and then uh, I think it was two weeks, I was in school, and I had applied for a scholarship. And uh, I got a scholarship for $25 a month. <laughs> God works in my life in funny ways, you know. And I used that money to pay off that bill. Uh, my budget, oh my gosh, uh, I, I was new in the program maybe six months, and. Uh, you know, I went to prison for writing bad checks, okay? I figured if you had checks, you had money. Uh, <laughs> my sponsor went, and, and she went for forging people's names on checks. I was stupid. I put my own name on there. Uh, <clears throat> so they quickly found me. But anyway, so uh, I'm trying to balance my checkbook, which I had I'd never had done. And so I wrote a, a figure on a piece of paper, and the scout came over to help me. And she went in the kitchen, and uh, I'd hear her in there muttering to herself. <laughs> and she'd go, oh, my God, you're like way, you're way off. You're way off by hundreds. And I'd go, oh, well. And then she'd go, along, oh, it's balanced again. And then she just went on like that. And finally she finished, and uh, she came out, and she said, here's, here's your balance. And I took that piece of paper, and... Uh, I was right on the mark with my own paper. <laughs> you see, alcoholics know how much money they have at any given time because they have to know in order to buy their booze. So she never came back, but she was a great gal and helped me that day. And now I do a budget every day. I do my budget. Um, I, I'll balance my accounts. I actually balance my bank accounts. I guess you all do that by just nature. <laughs> But I, I, you know, this is a big deal. And I can do it by phone. And uh, it's become fun. And if I'm off five cents, oh, I'm telling you, that really bugs me. I've got to find that five cents, you know. And, uh, and, and so I take care of all the bills and all of the money in our, in our household. And I am really good at it. And I love to save money. That's even better. And so when I do a budget with people, I teach them. I teach them how to look at what they're spending. I have them write something down. Uh, every, I write everything down for a month that you, you buy. Don't, don't change anything. And then we look at it, and we look at what they're bringing in, and we go, oh. I had this one school teacher, and I said, whoa. <clears throat> you, you, you really uh, spend a lot of money. <laughs> and it was, she buy one of those expensive coffees, you know, every day. And uh, I said, you know, we could cut back there, and we could cut back here, and uh, you're going to have fun doing this. And uh, I insist that you have fun with this. See how you can cut corners. See how much you can save. And, uh, and I, f I forget about her. <clears throat> and a, a year later, we're having dinner with her, Sonia and I, and Sonia says, how did that budget thing go? She says, I've saved $10,000 this year. I, I thought said, she was going to say 700, you know. I said, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, most of the times uh, I will help people with budgets, and uh, they aren't that successful because they're not ready to make that kind of commitment. I don't want to be in financial fear. That's my deal. Um, now, it says we will have freedom from financial fear. That does not mean we get rich. It just means we're not scared about being poor. And that's really an important statement right there. We're not afraid of being poor because God will provide. And God has always provided for us, um, Sonia and I. And, and so we share that with others. 
If, if we have more than somebody else, we share that. And guess what happens? More comes back in, and it balances. So I like to do budgets. I think budgets are really important because I think money has a big-time fear for everybody in here. We come in here in debt, usually. Um, those of you that, well, Sonia didn't because her mother was taking care of her money. Uh, I changed that. Uh, I said, you really know, have to learn how to pay your own bills. And uh, so she did. And she, she said one day, uh, I'm going to pay my bills today. I said, oh, good, very good. And uh, that evening she called, and she's still paying her bills. I said, what are you doing? And uh, she said, well, I've been going to every single place paying my bills. <laughs> so I, I have said, never paid a bill. There are envelopes and stamps for that. It's a new concept, I'm sure, for you. Uh, it was. The only reason I came to Alcoholics Anonymous with anything is that I turned my check over to my mother every month. Now, it's great. <coughs> she's handling this check. She's paying all my bills, and she's uh, giving me an allowance, and I'm resentful of her for controlling my money. It's the only reason I got here with anything. And, uh, and I had to learn all that when I got here. I have one other thing to say about these uh, financial amends and budgets, and that is when I came here, um, well, it was shortly, right around the time I was in Sacramento in court for income tax evasion, which is really awful for an alcoholic because I didn't evade anything. I forgot to pay. Uh, I see a vast difference in that interpretation. However, I was on probation, and, and that's a big deal, probation. You can't vote or anything. But anyway, I was on probation, and, and uh, I was going to go to court, and I got some excellent advice. And the advice was make a payment plan and make darn sure it's a plan that you can make the payment every month. And so I went in and I offered to pay him so much a month, and I paid him that amount a month for 12 years. And uh, I was so proud, because I'm a, I'm a sprinter, I'm not a long distance gal, you know, and I never truly take care, eventually I just leave town. And, um, and I was so proud, I was so proud when I paid that off and, and, uh, and, got, to, and got to get that done. The other thing I wanted to say is, you know, and, we're really big on I'm sorry, and it's particularly important with financial amends. And, and you know, you go into somebody and, and, you, and you tell them you're really sorry. You're really, mine, it wasn't money I didn't pay back. It was damage I did that I actually should, that I owed people money for. They had never come after it, you know. So you go in and you say, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry that I tore up your office and I broke the office furniture and this and that, and I've got, and I know that it was probably $1,000 worth of damage, and I'm just so sorry, and I'm sober now, and that would ever happen. And the guy looks you right in the eye and says, well, that's all well and good. Where's my $1,000? You know, so when you go in to make financial amends, what's important to them is, is it truly an amend? And I want to read you something. It's actually from Daily Reflections that talks about what the amends really is. Okay. Okay, hold this. No. I only have one hand. Oh, that's right. Uh, now I have both microphones. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Hello. Hold it over here. Huh? Hold it over here. Hold what over there? Hold the mic over here. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> Repairing the damage. Good this is from September thirteenth in Daily Reflections. Good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage and prudence, these are the qualities we shall need to take step nine. To make them, and that's from the 12 and 12, page 83. To make amends can be viewed in two ways. First, that of repairing damage. For if I have damaged my neighbor's fence, I quote, make a mend, end quote. And that is a direct amend. The second way is by modifying my behavior. For if my actions have harmed someone, I make a daily effort to cause no further harm. I mend my ways. And that is an indirect amend. Which is the best approach? The only right approach, provided that I am causing no further harm, is in so doing, is to do both. If harm is done, then I simply mend my ways. 
to take action in this manner assures me of making honest amends. And, and no place in that whole thing did I see I'm sorry. You know, I saw changing, making wrongs right and changing my behavior. And, and that's where working the steps in order and doing them in conjunction with the sponsors helped me a lot. And I want Julie to tell you about sometimes if you forget an amends, what can happen? Uh, when I was getting sober, I, I didn't have a lot of money. I was also in school. And uh, so I, I owed some utility bills. In the past, I'd always felt they're a big company. They don't need my money till the last minute. And uh, that got me into some trouble. And some well-meaning, now I'm going to share this because some well-meaning AAs said, don't worry about those utility bills. Don't worry about, I forget what the other bill, the phone bill, don't worry about that. Um, and so I didn't pay them. And so um, some years later, I graduated from nursing school. I'm a nurse. I'm now making some good money. I'd saved $5,000. It was a little house that I wanted to buy. I went in and I applied for it. And uh, they said, hmm, there's this collection agency that has, uh, that has some outstanding bills that you didn't pay. You need to clear that up. So I called them and I made an appointment to go over to uh, Santa Rosa to pay those bills and uh, $3,500. Obviously there was more than utility bills on there. And uh, I, I can't remember what it was, but it, it totaled $3,500. Well, I had saved $5,000. So I had the money to pay it and so I paid it. And uh, as I was leaving, the guy turned to me and he said, if you'd waited two more months, that would have gone away. <laughs> I bit my tongue. I didn't say anything. Restraint of tongue and pen worked that day. And I said, well, well, thank you. This was something I really needed to do. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to share with you is some years later, a friend of mine had been killed in a drunk, by a drunk driver. And she had something like 25 years or something. And so anyway... I had 30, so I went over for her funeral. And I say that, the reason I tell you how much time I had was that I got there and there was a woman there who I owed $230. And uh, so after the funeral, I went up to her and I said, uh, I, I, I need to make some financial amends to you. Um, if you come to the car, I'll, I'll write you a check. And I was able, because I had gone back to school, gotten a job, knew how to be on time now to a job, I had money in the bank, and I was able to pay her at that time. Uh, otherwise, I would have done payments, but I had to pay her. And she was thrilled, because she was, she was broke and didn't have any money. So no matter how far down the road you are with this, uh, if something like that comes up, you're able to do that. The one that was really hard... Um, to make a face-to-face -face amends with was a woman that I had lived with when I was in my 20s. And uh, we had played in a, a trio together, a folk singing trio. And we had lived together. And <clears throat> I had started going out and drinking in the bars and her check came. And uh, I stole her, her check. And I cashed it and spent the money and blamed this other person for doing it. So this is many years later, and I call her and I find her, and uh, I go to her house and I was, I was full of shame and embarrassed that I had done that. But I was able to pay her back. And uh, I haven't seen her in years, but I can't tell you the relief I felt and the self-esteem I felt later for having taken care of that. Uh, where are we now, Sony? You want to talk about forgiveness? No, I'm not up okay. to it. All right. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? No, I think that's good. You see, we've done this part. You, yeah. you talked about your husband. That was a sad story. So sad. Yeah. Very sad. Um, Off my face here. He came to our house on Halloween one time with a shot glass. <laughs> that's how he met her, with a shot glass. Oh, well. Uh, marriage made in heaven. 
I really had a selection problem. Yeah, I want you to read. Uh, I want you to read on forgiveness, though. Okay. You know, there's a forgotten part of step eight and nine, and, and that's the part about forgiveness. And it says in various places in our literature is that, you know, we all go out, we talk to each other, we share at length at meetings about how scared we are. We're going out to make amends, and we hope people forgive us. And it's all about forgiving us, forgiving us, forgiving us. And we totally forget that part of the step that's about us forgiving. And, and what our literature tells us is that hopefully we are forgiven to the same extent in the same manner and in the same way as we're willing to forgive others. And not just when I was drinking, but after I came to this program, I could remember slights that were done to me in high school I was never forgiving them for. And yet I'd gone out and done terrible things while drinking that I wanted forgiveness for. So it first talks about this on page 78 of the 12 and 12. These obstacles, however, are very real. The first and one of the most difficult has to do with forgiveness. The moment we ponder a twisted or broken relationship with another person, our emotions go on the defensive. To escape looking at the wrongs we have done another, we resentfully focus on the wrong he has done us. This is especially true if he has, in fact, behaved badly at all. Triumphantly, we seize upon his misbehavior as the perfect excuse for minimizing or forgetting our own. Right here, we need to fetch ourselves up sharply. It doesn't make much sense when a real toss pot calls a kettle black. Let's remember that alcoholics are not the only ones bedeviled by sick emotions. Moreover, it is usually a fact that our behavior when drinking has aggravated the defects of others. We have repeatedly strained the patience of our best friends to a snapping point and have brought out the very worst in those who didn't think much of us to begin with. In many instances, we're dealing with fellow sufferers, people whose woes we have increased. If we're now about to ask forgiveness for ourselves, why shouldn't we start by forgiving them one and all? And there's another passage I want to read on page 66 of the big book. It's my job. Yeah. <laughs> this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We avoid retaliation and argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. And I think that we tend to forget this forgiveness aspect of recovery. Did you have any comment on that, Julie? You don't have to. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me recently. You want to go ahead? No. Okay. Well, I, I was confused because I, I looked at what we had written down. Just before we came I've over lost here, we have two. Okay, so go ahead. Where were you? I told you earlier today a little bit about my sister and her end-stage alcoholism, and and how I sat with her for several hours a day in the hospital in Sacramento. And uh, you know, I had operated under illusion that my family, being a bunch of drunks, and the people I hung out with being low lives, that I really hadn't hurt people during my drinking and that um, I really didn't have very many amends. The only person I hurt was me. You know, I was one of those people. I should be telling me how sorry I am. Boy, my sponsor didn't go for that for a quick minute, I'll tell you. But anyway, um, so while I was down there, uh, I had for a long time been highly critical. My sister's husband, who was also a drunk, had, had done some really awful things. And uh, I hadn't spoken to him for a few years. And as it happened in the February before this happened, uh, Julie and I were over in Maui and we had lunch with my sister and her husband. And it's the first time we had included him. And by now he had developed wet brain. 
you know, and it was just a sad, sad thing. He'd repeat his sentences about every five minutes, and, and he turned very ni nicest he's ever been, you know, now that he doesn't have a brain. It's just an amazing thing. <laughs> and he'd say, oh, you look so nice today. How did you get to be so nice? And then five minutes later, you'd be in the middle of a sentence. He'd say, oh, you look so nice today. You know, it was just really, really sad. And we were very, very kind to him. And that's when I realized when he had done these awful things three years before that he was in the depth of his sickness. And then when I went over to my sister's house and her two adult daughters, one of whom I have a very difficult time with, fundamentally because she's obnoxious, and, um, <laughs> and she acts like we do when we're drinking, you know, so I know she's obnoxious. And I, I always thought, how could she? And how could she criticize her mother, you know, who who has done a lot for her, and you know, I always defend my twin sister, you know, and, and uh, you know, and for the first time I saw that daughter as a product of the household she had been in. And the other daughter who just needs Al-Anon so badly, and is probably the most dysfunctional person in the whole household. And for the first time, I got to see how my sister and my brother-in-law's alcoholism had damaged that family. And it's like when you tell me your story, and I can't see my alcoholism, but when you tell me your story and about your alcoholism, I see my alcoholism through you. When I saw my sister's family, and I saw the damage to every member of that family, for the first time, I got to have a whole new look at the amends process. And I got to see how my drinking had damaged the people in my family, my close friends, as well as some people that no longer wanted anything to do with me um, all those many years before, and they hadn't gotten over it. And for the first time, I was able to forgive them, um, forgive them for their slights, because their slights were a product, just like the big book says, they were sick too. I went to a funeral. Uh, last fall, and it was a funeral of a very dear friend from mine in Chico, and at the graveside services, there were 14 of us, and after the graveside services, uh, Julie had dropped me off there, and she wasn't feeling well, so I thought, well, I know I can get a ride home from someone, and after the graveside service, I, uh, I asked, I said, oh, you live close by me, Gary, why don't you give me a ride home, and he says, well, I'm not going home, but I'll give you a ride, I said, oh, where are you going, he said, we're all going to lunch. And I said, oh, and he said, well, come over here. He said, um, I don't believe you're included in the lunch. At this time, I had been sober for 32 years. And I said, really? He said, well, you know, this is a really difficult occasion for all of us. And some of the people here um, just won't, don't want to have to worry about how you're going to act. And there was a point in my sobriety where I, I would have been just offended now, granted, I was upset and felt left out, and I had those human emotions, but I quickly realized it was that part that says sometimes our actions cause repercussions that can't be fixed in a day, a week, a month, or forever. And I'd been trying to be friends with, these, with some of these people. These were my best friends. And I'd been trying to be friends with them for some years, and I never understood why they were always busy or always this or always that. And for the first time, I realized that I had hurt them so deeply that the best amends I could make was to stay out of their lives and get out of their way because they're not in a position to forgive me. And for the first time, instead of resenting all the times I've been left out, God gave me that gift of understanding that I hadn't had before. And, uh, and I'm able to forgive them because after all, the problem started with me. Oh, I have one. Okay. You're going to give me that. Um, I, I just wanted to say at that lunch uh, with her sister and, and, and her brother-in-law, because um, I, I was aware of the hurt that had occurred between uh, her, her brother-in-law and, and Sonia. And, uh, but I felt really, I felt deep compassion for them because I could see their alcoholism, and I could see where it had led them. And I could be kind, and it wasn't an effort, and it wasn't phony. I was kind. And uh, 
he kept telling me how beautiful I was. I mean, so, <laughs> really, I had to be kind. I mean, you know what I mean? I was, he wasn't that far gone. So uh, what, are we, what are we doing here, Sony? Why don't we close at this point and take questions? I don't want to close. I really am having fun. Okay. Okay. Don't you have, have another story? No. Okay, so... Oh, I did want to say, uh, and, and I should have said it earlier, but when we are doing our amends, uh, we, we have to check our motives. And, and I said this, and I'll say it again. Are we doing it so that we f just feel better and, and we get it over with? Or are we doing it because we sincerely regret what we've done? How, how many of you have done the ninth step? Can you raise your hand? Oh, really? Old timers. I guess just sake. So um, this may have been a repetitive, but I think it's a. I think these two steps warrant being talked about because it is where we begin to clear that wreckage away, so that we can repair these, sometimes repair these relationships that we had lost, thought we had lost. And so I think it was worthwhile to do this today. And thank you, Zan, for asking us to do this. Um, you had on here, Sonia. I forgot. I got it. You, no, you don't. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Okay. You got on here. You said... The continuum. No, no, no. That's not... I told you. You didn't know. Uh, you're so right, you're wrong. See? You're right. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was your character defect, and that's why I wrote it on your page. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> That's the last time I'll let you do the outline. Remember when Jack told you that? <clears throat> yes, Jack did tell me that. Jack was wrong. <laughs> Jack was my sponsor, and Jack started the Rogue Roundup down in Grants Pass. And I think, Bev, you probably met him. And uh, he's since passed. But he was a great guy. Him and I used to argue and fight all the time. You know, when I came in the program, I did not... It, it's not that I didn't like men. I just didn't have anything to do with them. And they weren't a part of my life. I was like in a subculture, really. I didn't have anything. There weren't any men in my life. And so when I came into AA, I, I really just didn't have anything to do with them. Um, I didn't like them so much. Uh, but I didn't like women either. I was, I was, <laughs> it was tough because there's only men and women in the meetings. And so, you know, I, I was feeling left out. But <clears throat> Jack and I formed this relationship, and my friends from Medford all know Jack, and he, he was a leader in the community, and he was a leader in AA, and we would argue over substance when it came to speakers and entertainment. And uh, so we were going at it one day, <laughs> and he turned to me and he said, you are so right, you're wrong. I hate that. I hate that when sponsors do that, because I acted like I knew what he meant. <laughs> and uh, what? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, my first sponsor used to say, just because you're param paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> what? 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 And then you begin looking around because you're paranoid. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. So I, knew, I, I finally waited a week and asked him to explain that to me. <laughs> No, not too proud to find out something new. That's what was on here, Sonia. That was That's it. That's what's it. Yes, future insights. Is it? Yes. New insights. I, I have none. <laughs> <laughs> I've given you everything. You've you've gotten it all today. You know, I'm always big on the continuity of the steps, and when we started out today, before we got to eight and nine. Um, with the steps that lead up to it. But, you know, in our ongoing process, we have a series of tools that we can stay current with our amends. And that's kind of my newer insight is that even though, you know, for years I read page 84 to 88 in the big book most days to tell me what to do upon awakening and what to do when I go to bed at night. And, and, uh, and you know, when it says in one part of that on page 84, it says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. 
then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we could help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. I was supposed to read that. Yes, but you didn't. No. Okay. So, initially, that worked really well for me. You know, except that when you're doing your inventory every night and you're harming people for the same reasons, you know, and then you're just going out and saying, I'm sorry, I harmed you. It's all part of a process, you know. I learned my character defects in the list I have from my sixth and seventh step. And when I look at my tenth step at night, and I'm going back and I'm exercising those same defects over and over, I really don't have a right to make myself feel better by going out over and over and saying I'm sorry. And so my amends process, and it's part of what I read, the part from September 13th on what amends means, is when I recognize where I've been selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful, um, is my first commitment has to be to change those behaviors and um, to make anything wrong, that I, anything I've done wrong to make it right, but more importantly, to change those behaviors and to change my actions, change my thoughts, and change my thinking so my character defects, and it's, it's a lifetime job, you know. Those things that are on that six-step list for me, I make a lot of progress, but they, like, don't go away. You know, and I had one area where I would be rude to people when I was in a hurry. You know, I thought I was very important at work, and, and I would be rude to, to people I came in daily contact with. And then the next day I'd go, oh, I'm, I do my tenth step, and i go, I am so sorry, you know, I was just behind on this and behind on that. And, and I was still checking out my amends with my sponsor every day. And so I was checking out, oh, I have to go tell so-and-so I was sorry. I snapped at her again, and she said, you will not. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you're just, and it's just what Julie talked about. You want to tell her you're sorry so you feel better about it. You know, you now know that she's having a hard life herself, and she has this problem with her kids and this problem with her husband, and now you're recognizing that you added on to the whole thing, and you're, you don't get to feel better that way. So your amends will be to go in and do an act of kindness for her every day for the rest of this month. I don't care if you take her a flower. I don't care if you bring her a cup of coffee. I don't, take, I don't care if you're really busy and you say, hello, how are you? You might, it, that day it might be standing and actually listening to what she has to say in response. But you are not allowed ever again to tell that woman you're sorry. And it was the greatest lesson. I felt just terrible. I was embarrassed to see her because I knew I should say I'm sorry. She was probably in that group like the people when I was drinking that never wanted to hear that again anyway. But I started being kind to that woman. And then I started being kinder to the, I was in the administrative offices. And, and so we had a, a head person and a few administrative assistants. And, and I started being kinder to all of them and taking a moment and this and that. And I got to see who they were as people. And I got to become friends with them. And I be, got to become a part of that office, not the person who walked by them with their own office in the corner. And it changed a whole aspect of my life. And it made me want to go to work in the morning. And it made me a better person. And uh, when I start slipping on that one today, I think back at how good that felt when I did it that way. So I think the eighth and ninth step, how we do it in an ongoing way, is we use the tenth and eleventh step to look back at the sixth and seventh step and uh, continue to work on those character defects, not in the negative of what not to do, but in the positive of what was the best woman I want to be, how would that woman act in this situation, and then going out and trying to be that woman. So I've really enjoyed doing this today, and I believe that's about all I have. I want to uh, just mention uh, <clears throat> uh, some experiences that I've had here at the conference, and I call them random acts of kindness. and. Uh, I find that today that happens more often for me, but I uh, I was over trying to trying on one of those sweatshirt things, you know, and I couldn't find my arms, and uh, this gal just steps up and starts helping me, and uh, I was coming in the door, and before I could get to the door, this person opened the door for me, you know, um, that, that's a beautiful thing, you know, 
And I have practiced, I practice that in my life. I, pra I seek the opportunities today to see where I can put more into and take less out of. And just a, a little story about part of that is that we have a, uh, a, an older senior community in Rogue River, and we used to own something like four or five rentals there. And so I became president of the association. And uh, one of the things that I would do is uh, I would go to our local farm in, in the summer and I would get corn and I would get watermelon. I would cut up the watermelon because these are widows and widowers and they live alone and they can't eat a whole watermelon, not, not like Sonia, but so I, <coughs> who could eat one? And so I would do that and then I would go around and deliver it, you know, and I did this for a couple of years and one year I was late and I got a call. And it was, where's the corn and the watermelon? <laughs> Julie went to 85 homes to do this, and those people yes. loved it. And I took, I said to Sonia, I said, uh, want to have some fun? I said, come with me. And I had Sonia do all the deliveries, and it was wonderful. It, it's just a wonderful experience. That's, that's the essence for me of AA. It's, it's love and, and service. Um, and then that's what I get out of doing today. And why when Zen asked us to do this, we said, of course. That's why when Zen asked us if we would speak and I was in the hospital and they said I wasn't going to get out, I said, sure, we will. You know, and uh, I'll never forget, I hung up the phone and Sonia said, did you just say we would speak? And I said, yes, I did. She said, they've told you you might not get out of the hospital. I said, well, if I get out of the hospital, be great. I can share this story. Um, if I don't get out, you will need to speak, and it'll be good for you, you know? And, and that uh, is exactly Always, always thinking said. of others. Uh, <laughs> and I, I want to thank you uh, for, for staying with us in this hour and, and having us tell you stories and share this information with you. I'm sure you have a lot of information yourself on this step, and... Uh, one thing I would suggest, we all came with our friends, and all our circle of friends are here, is one of the things that I found so enjoyable at Sober in the Sand, which is a retreat, was that I would smile at somebody, and they would smile back, and then I would go talk to them. And I'd ask them their name, where they're from, what are they doing in their life. And I found out some wonderful, interesting things. As a matter of fact, I don't know if Claudia is in the room, but uh, Sober in the Sand, she was the one that I met uh, oh, in the bathroom, and uh, <laughs> where we do our best talking, and uh, and she was just wonderful, and she came to the to the to the conference to be here, and so there's others from sober in the sand too. That was a beautiful conference, absolutely filled us with love, and we hope we brought some of that to you today. Thank you. Thank you all. <laughs>